0: We've been talking about the glorious church. You know, the glorious church is God-ordained. As a matter of fact, the Bible uses those terms called the glorious church. And sometimes people think the reason the church will be glorious is because what we do. But technically, the glorious church or the church is glorious first because of what God did. And one of the things we've been looking at that makes the church glorious is the fact that the true church worldwide or local bodies are made up of individuals who have eternal life. And we have said this again and again, eternal life is not what you get when you die. Because you received Jesus, you get to live on forever. No, eternal life is what you get when you get saved. It is actually God's life coming in you, God's Spirit doing a work and renewing you inwardly, getting rid of an old spiritual nature and putting a new one in there with divine life. That's what makes the church glorious because if, if the church was glorious based on our own goods, then whoever works the most would be the most glorious, whether they believed in God or not, or believed in various things. And so the glorious church, the true church, is made up of people who have received Jesus and therefore actually received eternal life. So we're not going to go back into that. But there are some things about that you know, we need to look at that make up the glorious church. And one of them is this, and we we'll probably will only talk about it one day, and that will be today, but about money, or we could say money matters or money issues. And so if you will turn to Luke, Luke's gospel, and sometimes people may not want to talk about money But do you know Jesus talked about stewardship and money virtually more than anything? And he was dealing with, and people may not know this, with a culture that taught that if you were prosperous, then you had some big exclusive place with God. So like the Pharisees who loved money and were rich, thought, well, you know, if we're rich... We're in a special place with God. And they were actually teaching that. And that's why when Jesus said that one time about the, you know, entering in through the the gate or the eye of the needle and a camel going through, and the the disciples questioned, who then can be saved? Because he said, you know, for a rich person to be saved is like a camel going through the eye of a needle. And then they said, who can be saved? Well, if there weren't a lot of rich people, you wouldn't ask that. Or people that were thinking money-wise. You wouldn't say, who then can be saved? And they all knew that with a covenant with, with, uh, that they all had with you know, Abraham, their father, that God would bless and enrich them. So they're like, ah, wait a minute. How is this? But what had happened was there started becoming perversion about finances. So Jesus talked more about finances and stewardship than anything else. Though he healed the sick, delivered people, and wonderful things happened, taught people how to pray, taught people how to walk with God, to be an influence in in the earth, be salt and light, and all the different things, how to interact with one another, But he talked more about this issue than anything else. So there might be something to look at. So notice this in Luke 16. Luke the 16th chapter. And we're going to begin reading in the 8th verse. And some of these verses that we're about to look at are going to tell us something uh, that will be huge. I mean, some of it, when we look at this subject of money, which everybody has to deal with it, and all the things I've already said are super important, we're going to see some uh, stuff in here that I think uh, would make us go, okay, money has a place, and uh, we as Christians, or even the people that he dealt with back then, uh, were not the best with money. And even though money is not evil, he wanted them. And, and like I said, they had a wrong view back then. They were teaching if you had a lot of money, you're in, you're in a good place. But he's going to make some statements, and we're going to look at them, or he made some statements, but we're reading them like he's making them. That will challenge people, I think, concerning finances. Notice this in Luke 16 8. I'll just read it. It says, So the master commended the unjust steward, and it was over these money matters, because he had dealt shrewdly. Modern translations read read it like this wisely. He dealt wisely for this, and then Jesus makes this statement For the sons of the world, not the people of the kingdom, The sons of the world are more shrewd or literally wise in their generation than the sons of light. Wow. If worldly people are, at least in that generation, more wise than the kingdom people or the children of the light, then... Uh, I don't think that's how God wants it. I think God wants his people to be on top in every area, so to speak, that pertains to life and godliness. And if he said they're more wise, uh, I don't think it was because he wanted us to stay stupid or unwise. Let me use that word. You with me? Because sometimes I think people under-spiritualize money or over-spiritualize money. And there is a natural side to money and a spiritual side to money. Now, right here in these same verses, notice this in the 11th verse. It says, therefore, and he's still talking about money and finances. In the Bible, when you see the word mammon, it means like money, you know, earthly riches. It says, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon or money... Who will commit to your trust the true riches? Isn't that interesting that there's a connection between money and certain riches, true riches, or spiritual things in the kingdom? And it goes on to say, And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give to you your own? What he's saying is, in the same context, and we'll look at it, if you're not faithful in the financial matters uh, you know, of natural things or somebody else's stuff, who's going to give to you what rightfully belongs to yours? In other words, if you're managing somebody else's stuff. And I know there's discussion, is the money I have God's or is it, is it belong to, to me alone and I can do with it what I want to? In a covenant relationship, which is what we have, all that we have ultimately belongs to God. When you gave him your life, everything. But he tells you what to do with it, right? He gave you your life, but then he told you what and tells you what to do with your life, Right? honor him, things like that, so you're a steward over your own life and the things of life. Verse 13 says, no servant can serve two masters. Now he's about to tell you what these two masters are. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Money. 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 You can't serve God and serve money. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say you can't have money. He said you can't serve money. You with me? There's a huge difference between having money and serving money. A Lord or one you serve, it drives you. It drives you. It motivates you. And so, if I am fully, or the greatest motivation of my life is money, I'm serving money. And he said, you can't do that. What it will do is it will cause conflict. Conflict. You'll, you'll love the one, despise the other, and you'll recognize there's two masters. For every Christian, there's to be one master. But when people start trusting and serving money, they'll have a conflict of masters because they've added a new master to their life. And we are to use money. We can have lots of money. You can be a trillionaire. I just want to be your friend. No, no. But, you know, I'm joking about that. But in in this aspect, uh, you need to be uh, wise about this and realize there are people, and in our society, uh, riches play a lot. I mean, the Bible even tells us in the Old Testament about the poor not being heard, but the rich are heard. People hear them. Isn't it wild? Regardless of the motivation of the people in Hollywood, they believe in abortion, they believe in sex outside of marriage, they believe in illicit sex and, and just corruption and doing all this stuff that is against God's design. But, but they've got loads of money, so you know who people listen to? Them. Them. And regardless if somebody has money or not, and for some reason, people are wired that way that, well, they got a lot of money. I mean, if you had an option to sit and hear Bill Gates, or, you know, who's got loads of money, you know, teach you about something, or Joe Schmoe that works at Circle K, you'd be willing to pay to hear Bill Gates, or maybe not you, but others would. And maybe the guy at Circle K has eternal life and and could tell you how to get saved. That's of extreme value. But that doesn't mean everything Bill Gates says is right. And just because they get a voice through their money does not mean everything they're saying is right. You with me? And these are all issues with money. And so if he said true riches will come to you after you've been faithful, then somebody said, you know, I've never heard that before. But if you look through the Bible, you'll see it. Remember when Jesus called the disciples to follow him? He challenged them often in this area to follow him. You're going to have to give this up to follow me. And it was concerning certain things with work and certain things, not that he wanted him to be poor. As a matter of fact, one guy came to him with loads of riches and said, I want to follow you. And he, and this guy had an issue he didn't know. And, or not follow you. He said, I want eternal life. Jesus said, well you know, keep the commandments. He said, I kept all of them since I was a little kid. What do I lack? He realized I don't have what I'm looking for and I've been serving this thing. He said, here's what you need to do. Sell what you have, give to the poor and follow me. And it said he was sorrowful and couldn't do it. And he left. And Jesus said then, how hard is it for rich people to enter into the kingdom? Then the disciples were like, yikes, because they all had money. And then he changed his wording and he said, those who trust in money. See, the reason he wouldn't give up or give his money, because he trusted more in his money than he would in the Lord. And so it said he left, but here's what's wild. He left with his money, but he didn't leave with eternal life. Whoa. What would a man gain, you know, to keep and win all the earthly treasures but lose his own soul? And he fit right into that category and away he went. But the disciples, they had done that. They had done what we talked about, making sure that it's not your master. Well, when they were challenged by Jesus, come and follow me. It said they immediately left their businesses, their money, and all these things, and they went and followed him. So they said, Lord, we did it. What about us? Jesus said, well, you'll be poor the rest of your life, but you'll have eternal life. No, he didn't say that. He said there's nobody who quits trusting in money, because that's what that guy had done, and follows me and gives these things up and really goes for it that will not receive now a hundredfold in this life. A big, huge return in this life. So, obviously, Jesus wasn't against it, money, but he wanted people to keep their trust first in him. And I know the Lord will challenge people, deal with people in this area of money, because it is really, though seemingly natural, it's so connected in the human way that uh, it will show us where we're at many times. Where we give, how we do, all that stuff—it will show us things that we may not realize. Jesus said it like this: "Where your treasure is, there your heart will be." So it's it's a it's an indicator of things. It shows attitude. It shows where our trust is. Finances are huge in the kingdom. And if he said you've got to be faithful in these things, then you'll be entrusted the true riches. Think about this. What did the disciples get for giving up? And it's not that the Lord wants you to give everything up. But if he ever said give it up, could you? And he knows where you have areas, and he'll deal with you about those areas to prove your own heart. To find out where your life is. And uh, the disciples, you think about it. He said, if you're faithful, you know, and you're, you do the right thing with this, you'll be entrusted the true riches. Think about what the disciples got for following the Lord. Think about it. All the things they walked in on the earth, and we know they all have thrones in heaven for eternity, right there before the Lord. He basically gave a similar invitation to that rich man but he wasn't faithful in that area to do the right thing when he was called upon it and he said nah i'm not going to do that because he trusted in it and he left and think about it we don't ever hear about him again walking in the same things the true spiritual riches that we see the disciples walking in now you understand you're not paying for true spiritual riches There was a guy, you know, in in the book of Acts, in the 8th chapter, I believe it's around the 18th verse, Simon the sorcerer became a disciple of the Lord. He had been ruling over people, and he tried to manipulate things in the kingdom with money. You know, people will do that. I'm going to make you hurt. I'm not going to give, or I'm going to give so that maybe I'll give extra so maybe it'll give me a place. But if you don't give me that place... I'm going to take my money. And and here's the interesting thing. Here was Simon the sorcerer. He tried to pull this off. And uh, what had happened was Peter and John, uh, these disciples, people were getting born again. People were getting saved. So they went down to pray for these new converts uh, that had given their lives to the Lord that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this guy, Simon, who had position and everything and obviously had money, was watching. And all these people were getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And he finally went up to Peter and he said, Peter, now remember Peter. Peter was actually the one who said, Lord, we gave up all. What do we get? He said a hundredfold now in this life. But Peter had passed a test already of being driven by money. So this guy came up and said, hey, you, you give me that gift, I'll give you money, you give me that gift so that whoever I lay my hands on, uh, they can receive the same thing. You know what he said? He said, you perish with your money. Wait a minute, the loving disciple of Jesus? You perish with your money. You think the gift of God can be bought? He was basically saying, your motives have got to be right here. What if Peter had never dealt with the money issue? Maybe he would have gone, how much you got? But now he's operating in some of these true riches, and the Lord said you're going to be blessed well, here's a channel. Maybe the blessing will come this way. Maybe this is what you were talking about, Lord. He said, no, your heart's not right. Your heart's not good in this matter. You can just die with your money. Well, wow, what, what, what kind of sermon would that be? Just go ahead and die with your money. And he, said, and he basically said some stuff, and the guy started repenting right there. Pray for me that the, these other things don't come upon me. Money may seem natural, but it can be connected in so many ways. You know, I think we have to keep our motives right, especially when we believe in prosperity. You know, I don't tell a lot of these things because they're personal and I don't know that they always have a good, that they're always good, but this may help people. I remember years ago helping a, a family when I was on staff. In California, really go through a hard time, an extremely hard time. And I walked with them in this for months. And they had a situation in the family, and uh, this guy passed away. Well, he had, they had some money and some means. They had this, like, he had a fully restored 1968 convertible, this black, like, muscle car thing. And uh, I mean, Inside and out, a very, you know, fairly desirable car. And they said, We would like to give this to you for all that you did. And I thought, I would like to have that <laughs> too. But I thought, you know what? I need to check my own motives. I do believe God wants to get good things to me. But I thought I need to be careful because sometimes people can be moved wrong in a situation and I want to be careful of that. They're going through a tough time. Maybe you come back in a year. I didn't tell them that. I just told them, no, I probably wouldn't do it because one, they're sentimentally attached. What if I want to sell it? Then what would that do? Oh, are you enjoying the car? Well, I sold it. Oh? Then it's not altogether a gift, and you just have to look at these things and check your motives and be careful about what people are going through that drives them to do stuff. Are you with me? Because money, I think, is important because I think God looks at us. uh, What drives us? He looks beyond just the outside. He checks the heart. And like I said, turn to 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter. Motives in this is, are huge with God when it comes to money. Trusting God is huge. Somebody said, well, I can trust Him <clears throat> without having to do stuff appropriately with money. You're going to have to go read the Bible again you're going to have to go read the Bible again. I know this, when people give their lives to the Lord, they'll want to become givers. You have to move away from your salvation and the joy of salvation to not be a giver. And I'm talking financial. I'm talking your life. You have to move away from from the vitalization or that reality of divine life and that cleansing and the recognition of your standing with God to to not be a giver. I mean mean a giver, a server. You have to kind of, that has to be kind of cold. Because I know this, you read in the book of Acts, as soon as people got saved, man, they just started giving their money. They, and it's not that you are supposed to give everything away. But there is something connected to when we get saved, uh, we start experiencing the life of God. We want to be givers. We want to be doers. I mean, when I got saved, I didn't want to become more stingy and do less. Well, I was already doing nothing for God. Except for being an example. To the world of what an evil man looked like, you know I was a fulfillment of scripture, I guess, but that was not his goal for my life and so uh, in these areas, uh, when we are get turned on to God, I mean think about when he ran into a little short guy who climbed up in trees Zacchaeus, a lot of people know the story. He wanted to see Jesus. He couldn't see over the people. Um, so, and he didn't have a phone book to stand on because they didn't have phone booths back then or phone books. And so he climbed up a tree. I added the phone book part. People are like, I know exactly what he's talking about. And, um, and he couldn't get through the crowd, so he ran ahead of the crowd. I'll tell you what, some people got to run ahead of the crowd. Get out of the crowd. Get out of what everybody else is doing. So he ran ahead of the crowd, climbs up in a tree. When Jesus walks by, because, you know, if you just do what everybody else does, it might not be the best thing. So he gets ahead of the crowd. He climbs up a tree. Jesus walks by and goes, hey, shorty. I mean, Zacchaeus. Come down. I'm going to have lunch with you today. And we're going to eat at your house. That would be cool. I'd be like, okay, you know where I live? I'd run home and dust, right? You know, Jesus is coming. Those dirty clothes, they can't be there anymore. Toilet seat, it's got to be down. Whatever. You know, you're going to go do it. And and, because he's coming to my house... But he comes there, and this guy has been crooked with money and been tight and embezzling from people. The minute he has an encounter with Jesus, he becomes a giver and a restorer in that area. And I'll tell you what, he didn't say, I sure regret it. I sure regret this. No, he was fired up. I said this years ago, I had taught a series when I was in the youth. When there's a move of God in your life, money will move. It it will go out from you, it will come into you. Money will move. When there's not a move of God in your life and you squelch things, you'll notice sometimes natural mammon will come, but it won't be through the blessing of God. I mean maybe in his mercy yes but in one sense there needs to be a flow coming and going everybody alive and well 1st Timothy 6:10 we're going to read this verse quick for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil but 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 it doesn't always read what you think it says. And many of you may know this. It doesn't say having money is the root of all kinds of evil. Because if you read down below, he tells people who are rich to be rich in good works. So he wasn't saying money's evil. He said the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What happens is many times people read this and say, those rich people, there's something wrong with them. No, you can be poor and fall into this problem. You can love money. It doesn't say because you have money you've got a problem. It says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. In other words, where you start trusting in it, start believing in its ability. And now, understand this. There are more than one way God can get something to you in your life. Without even an increase in your paycheck. He can supernaturally make deals work and make stuff last longer for you. You with me? Because the enemy can devour other things just than your money. Why is it that all my appliances go out and all this goes out and my car and this, that, and the other? Do you know one of the blessings that happened to the children of Israel when they got brought out and started serving God in the wilderness? Do you know their clothes did not wear out? Their shoes didn't wear out, and they walked for 40 years. If you owned a shoe company, and you could guarantee that, one, you'd sell a ton of shoes up front, and then after that, you're done. Because <laughs> they wouldn't wear out. Those are the hiking shoes I need. Somebody asked me about hiking shoes, so I took a picture. I have a mound of them in my garage, and I have some in my closet. And I mean a mound. Somebody said, you're exaggerating. No, I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> and I go through them. And, uh, but man, if you could get a shoe like that, but God can make stuff last. Somebody said, you need to believe that for your hiking shoes. Maybe I do. <laughs> but maybe you do too, right? But we should trust God that our stuff will work and last. The love of money, that's an attitude toward money, not whether you have it or not. Are you with me? And this is important because we've gone through a ton of illustrations uh, of just real quick of different people and their attitude toward money. There's no problem with you going, hey, having money, uh, you know, no big deal. Trusting in it, big deal. Making it your Lord and the driving force of your life, huge problem. No, no. Jesus said people who do that usually deal with this area, worry. And worry about money. And he said, that's how the world operates. But he said, if you'll not trust in that and you really will put me first, he said, then I'll add that to your life that everybody else is worrying about. And he didn't say when the economy is good. This will work. And when it doesn't, it won't. So go back to worrying. No. You with me? Second Corinthians, the ninth chapter. Let's look at a couple of things concerning money. 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 Somebody's like, that makes me uncomfortable. Mammon. Mammon. If you if you read on after one of those stories that I read, it's interesting, Jesus was sharing about this, and uh, it said, and the, the Pharisees, it said because they loved money, they were upset when Jesus talked about money. People who love money, whether they have it or not, will get upset when you talk about money. They'll get upset. It happened to Jesus, so I don't feel bad if somebody gets upset. We just know motives are the driving force behind that anger. It's because they loved their money. And it says, therefore, they were angry with him when he talked about these issues. Wow. I don't know about you, but God is a giver, and so we should be thrilled when money is talked about. Anything that he talks about, we should be thrilled about. Now, remember this if people get upset about money, it's probably because they trust money, uh, don't understand, and, and they may get a little bit out of shape. Jesus had that happen. I'll tell you what, I remember reading that and thinking, I don't want to sit in that category. Hearing him preach, and then all of a sudden he touches the money button. Eh, eh, eh. And ow, ow!" And then you have a bad attitude, because there's so many spiritual things and natural things connected to finances. Second Corinthians the ninth chapter. Let's look at the tenth verse and go over a couple of verses before we leave here. A couple more. It says, "Now may He," Second Corinthians 9:10. "Now may He, God, who supplies seed to the sower." and he's talking about finances, God will give you seeds to sow. Who does He give them to? To the sower. God will cause blessing to come to you if you become a giver. He'll actually give you more seeds to sow. But this will be tough if you trust in riches. But when your relationship is being you're being thrilled with God, you enjoy writing a check. Sending it in. Mailing it somewhere. Whatever it is, giving somebody some money. Whatever it is, you'll get thrilled inside. When you trust in it, you'll go, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. Because it indicates something. But I'll tell you what, when we're thrilled with God, because when people are thrilled with God, this is their attitude toward God. Whatever you want, I'll do it. When people are thrilled with God, if you want me to be in church, I'll be in church. If you want me to move to Africa, I'll do it. If you want me to do this, I'll do it. When people are thrilled and like that with God, they'll be like that. I mean, I'm not planning on going to Africa but if he ever said it, okay. Because it's that willingness to give and surrender whatever. It, it, what it comes down to is they go, I just want to please you, Lord. And if that's what you want, I want to please you. I want to be pleasing. I want to be pleasing to you. And, and whatever you want, I want, to, I want to do the same thing. Are you with me? So here it said, now he who supplies seed to the sower, so some of what you get is for sowing. And bread for your food. Now that doesn't mean he's just going to give you bread. Well, the Lord will give you a piece of bread. You know like where it says in the Old Testament, if you serve the Lord, he'll bless your bread and water, take sickness away from the midst of you, the number of your days you will fulfill. He didn't say You know, all you're going to eat is bread and water the rest of your life, but you can be healthy. No, it just meant whatever you eat, whatever you touch, whatever you do, he'll bless it. He'll bless it. And when he said here, he'll bless your bread or the seed and the bread cause things to happen in that area but notice he said he'll give seed to the sower and bread for your eating you could say it like this he'll give you stuff to sow and he'll give you stuff for all your provision because how many of you know you don't need just bread to live some of you are looking at me like you don't yeah you needed clothes to come here And even if we'd be lenient on that, they aren't so lenient on you when you go to the grocery store without clothes. Walmart, different thing. Grocery store, you know, totally different. But you know what I mean? You can't show up to Disneyland like that. You can't go places. And so it's more than just bread. It's all your livelihood. And so it says, Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Here's an interesting thought. If you eat the seed you're supposed to sow, what has he got to multiply? Because it wasn't put in the ground. And understand this, It's connected to the supply of your life, and so we need to know that, and and I'll say this, and I'm going to look at a couple things here. Financial stewarding is important, or managing, whatever you want to say, saving, giving. You know, even some people say, well, he'll just work another miracle, but why, when the, he worked that miracle with the disciples and multiplied the loaves and the fish, did he say, get all the fragments, gather them up, that nothing is wasted? Because we should be careful about being wasteful. Are you with me? And I know the Lord will multiply, and the Lord will do things, and you can trust for more, but at the same time, that doesn't mean be wasteful. You've got to be smart. You've gotta, if the, think of the world. If they're wiser than us, and you see people who have riches, and one of the things that they will do is they're careful how they spend them. They want a good return on even what they get. They don't buy all the just the junk stuff. They'll wait and buy something that that will hold its value, that will be a little bit better, and, and they just have a different mindset. We can learn that. Are you with me? And, and we can realize God wants us to get ahead. There is a scripture in the Old Testament that says, you know, Proverbs eleven twenty four. 24, uh, it talks about the person who gives and withholds more than he should, but it tends to poverty. I can't give. Well, that will tend to poverty, but the generous soul will be made rich or have a full supply. But he said, There is one who withholds more than is right. So that tells me there is a part we should withhold. There is a part we should save. Are you with me? There's nothing wrong with putting stuff away and saving. Well, we'll just get more tomorrow. We'll get this today because this is, I got to have this today. Do you really have to have that today? There's some things you do need today. And there's other things you could wait, well, yeah, but everybody else has got one. Well, that's okay. Why don't you just wait? I remember going to buy a house, uh, turn to Acts, the book of Acts, buying a house. And uh, my credit was not always good. But it has been for a long, long time. It's always been well into the 800s. Runs around 820, 830, somewhere, sometimes down to 810. But uh, I remember going in to get something. They said, oh, you'll be fine with that kind of credit. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, I'm sure, you know, that a lot of these people who have a lot of money. And I didn't put myself in that category. They can. he said, no, a lot of them. Now, listen to this. A lot of those people in the United States, this is a wrong mentality. Just because they got money, he said, that, that make you know maybe a lot more than you, he said they're all messed up because they just buy everything, buy everything, get everything, and their credit is a mess. Now, I don't work in that world, but that's what they told me. Not everybody But there are a lot of people with a lot of things. I look at people going to the lake and think that's a $100,000 boat. That's a $90,000 boat. That's being pulled by an $85,000 car and a $100,000 car, you know, an SUV. And And there's no problem with that. But you wonder, are all of them set financially? Did they do it right? Did they have to have it now? Or did they trust God and wait a little bit till they knew that it was right and then got it? Or are they just so maxed out that they, they're a mess financially, but they got a cool boat? Now, I'm for a cool boat. And I'm cool with people having lots of money. And I'm not saying everybody who drives by should we all go, those foul people with those boats, they're a mess financially. No, some of them could be very well doing it right, doing it good. I'm just saying Some may not. And we should recognize that we should have some wisdom. And here's the thing. Look at this verse in Acts 11. We should be led by the Spirit. We should be led by the Spirit. And we'll begin reading in the 28th verse, talking about being led by the Spirit. Actually, we'll read in verse 27. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem antioch and understand this well i'm going to read this first well we're hearing a lot about prophets in the body of christ right now a bunch of them prophesied about the election you know this is going to happen this is how it's going to be and when i would hear it i've told people i've told other ministers i said there's no life on those words they're speaking there's no life on it there's no divine unction you can get loud but and perspire, but that doesn't mean that the power of God's on it and that's a life-giving word. And I told the staff when I drove away from that, that little Trump trailer thing, sounds like a chump trailer, but a Trump trailer, you know, a little thing where they sell, you know, the flags and all that. I drove up and drove by. When I drove by on the inside and after I was up there and walked away uh, on the inside, uh, I remember I was in the office after church, or before the evening service, and Pastor Linda will usually come in and say, "What do you need? You know, do we need to do anything?" And I'll say, "Oh, you know, this is what we need to. We're going to announce this. Do this. Whatever." We'll talk for a few minutes, and uh, she said, "What's going on?" I said, "Because uh, I probably looked like, uh, you know, because I thought what he did. Not that his methods or his way he dealt with people, but I liked the fact that." He started dealing with abortion, all the peace things that happened in the Middle East that haven't happened. I like the moving of the thing from Jerusalem. You know, a lot of those things. I said, I already know Trump's not going to be in office. I said, something, something about it. It's not, it's not right. And I thought, ugh. But, but I remember back when McCain and Palin were running. Everybody was like, oh, they're going to get in. And they were way up in the polls. I remember the person who used to do our praise and worship I went to drop off the music stuff to them. They worked it down here off of Stapley. There used to be a Christian bookstore. And I went to drop it off. And they were talking about the upcoming election. On the inside, I knew anybody connected with Palin will not get in the office or ever get in office. I have regretted or dreaded any time I've ever seen her try to rise up because I thought any ticket she's ever on will be a losing ticket and i remember leaving that day and not telling him and then later on telling her cuz i didn't know the other people who i said she ain't getting in he's not getting in it's never it's not going to happen god will lead us we can know things not that we know everything and um, but there's a lot of prophets out there prophesying I'm not classing myself, but we should prove them. There's genuine ones, and there are not genuine ones. And that's why you'll hear me often say, do you sense that inside, down here, whenever we give, like a word comes, whether it's a Sunday night or a Sunday morning, you know, or a prayer meeting or whatever, and people go, man, I could sense that. We should be able to judge stuff. And because here's what happens, some people will hear this stuff and go, Who does hear from God? A lot of people. But just because we override stuff and hear this rah, rah, rah thing, we should be sensitive enough to know God for ourselves and be able to judge some stuff. Hallelujah. And one of the interesting things about this scripture, because you can't just start changing what God said. Now he's going to get in later. He may get in later, but that's not what you quote-unquote prophesied. God's not changing that. And I understand people can miss it, but even when I've had prophecies or things that have come through me, it's not like you prophesy it every week. Are you with me? Or every other day for months. And just because you raise your volume, I found this, if I raise my volume and go, man, the Lord is doing this, there will be divine life on it, and people will notice it. And just because you raise your voice, people might just get used to people being loud and go, ooh, that was exciting. But there's a difference between excitement and divine life and inspiration and the witness of the Spirit. Are you with me? So right here, so... I can let you guys go. Acts 11, verse 27. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit. Now this guy, however he gave words, he seemed to demonstrate them. Which in the Old Testament, there were people who gave words like this they would demonstrate the words like he gave one word one time to, to the apostle paul and said whoever owns this girdle he wrapped it in the little thing you put around your waist not a girdle like lady's girdle but just like a little strap thing you know you put around your garment you know he didn't put on the girdle and go look at this you know he put it around his tied up his wrists and his legs and he said so shall be the person who owns this they shall be bound when they go there he prophesied and it did come to pass, but he would demonstrate him, so I don't know what it, what he did uh, if he you know when he said, then one of those named Agabus stood uh, and showed by the spirit, showed by the spirit that there was going to be a great famine. you know I don't know if he started pulling his shirt tight like people are going to get lose some weight and rain's coming and it's going to stop you know i don't know what how he demonstrated and the because the famine the 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 trees and the bushes that bear fruit are going to wilt you know i don't know what he did but he demonstrated it by the spirit but here's the interesting thing and it says a famine throughout the world which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. So there was a confirmation of the fulfillment of that. It says then the disciples, each one according to their ability, they started giving to help those ones that were affected. But now think about this. God led them, led them, prepared them for something that was coming. God will lead us in our finances too if we'll pay attention, you can't want something more than you want to hear from God. Because some people want some stuff more than they want what God says, and they'll override his dealings or pray for five minutes and go, "Uh, Lord, you want me to do this? Cool. All right. And they'll judge because they don't have a check. They'll count it as a piece or a knowing, and then they'll end up with something later on. They're like, I shouldn't have got that, and I knew better. Anybody ever done that? So that's being honest with ourselves and with God. That's a motive with money. Everybody with me? And he may tell people, don't buy stuff right now. Don't spend on that right now. Save some. Because he knows all of a sudden you're going to hit a tough time, and you're going to go, oh, I got all that put away, and we just... We're able to use that. And then now we, we're back on moving ahead. You know, the economy's changed or whatever. But I prepared. You know, he did that in the Old Testament where he prepared a nation for what was coming. You know, he'll prepare us and lead us. One thing we need to recognize is we need to be led, not just be a good steward, because sometimes it'll look like, well, I can't. And we'll know we should. And there's other times we think I should, and the Lord will deal with you. Don't.